CARE is a nonprofit organization based in Atlanta that advocates for gender equality around the globe. Perhaps you're familiar with CARE, C-A-R-E. The people of CARE have chosen to focus their time, their energy, and their talents, and their resources on empowering women. That is their sole purpose as an organization. And they've chosen to focus on empowering women because even though women produce half of the world's food and put in two-thirds of the world's working hours, they make up only 10% of the world's income. Change the fortunes of women, the people of care believe, and you're going to change the world. To help them achieve this ambitious goal, several years ago, CARE initiated the I Am Powerful ad campaign, a campaign that was an enormous success, far exceeding everyone's expectations. Perhaps you recall seeing the images and the videos on Facebook and social media. Instead of telling inspiring stories about CARE volunteers swooping in in impoverished regions to save the day, the I Am Powerful campaign told the stories of women who were empowered by care to find the strength and the courage within themselves to do what others said they simply could not get done. They were lifted up and empowered to claim their purpose and their power. As you heard today, the disciples are worn out. They've just come back from a really long mission trip. It was a small van. They didn't eat very well. It was kind of claustrophobic. They were exhausted, my point is. They were not rested by any means. And Jesus takes one look at them and says, gosh, you guys could use some time away, some R&R. And so he sends them off, goes with them to a deserted place by themselves. Sounds kind of nice, time alone with Jesus. But, as you heard, their vacation is cut way too short when a large crowd finds them. The large crowd always seems to find Jesus. Of course, as the good shepherd, Jesus has compassion for his lost sheep and begins to teach them out there in the deserted place. But as it starts to get late, the disciples, who were likely good Presbyterians and planning ahead, the disciples want Jesus to send the people on their way before they get really hungry and start demanding something to eat. They see trouble looming on the horizon. 5,000 hungry men in the middle of nowhere is not a good thing. And they want to address the problem before it gets out of hand. Jesus, they remind him, um, this is a deserted place, as you know, and the hour is getting, look, it's getting really, really late. Ooh, I'm tired. Can you send the folks away to the surrounding town so they can buy some food for themselves to eat? No. He responds, no, I won't. You give them something to eat. You give them what they need. You take them in. You keep them safe. Now, the disciples' reflexive response to this request is not all that surprising to us because it's often our own reflexive response when someone asks something of us that requires a great deal from us. Sorry, Jesus. We can't. We'd like to help. We'd like to do the right thing. We really want to help, but we just don't have enough. Not enough time, enough food, and enough energy. We're really, really tired. We just don't have enough. Jesus hears their concerns, but doesn't let up. 
Well, he says, before you decide you don't have what you need, why don't you take a moment to see what it is you do have on hand? Before you think the problem is way too big for you to solve, why don't you take an accounting of the resources you have at hand? I spent the first 21 years of my life in Texas, in East Texas, in Houston, but I had never heard of Possum Trot, Texas until earlier this week. Possum Trot, Texas is a small East Texas town that is so small you can have a hard time finding it even on Google Maps. Much of the 600 residents of Possum Trot, it's fun to say, try it, Possum Trot, it's just... (laughs) Most of its residents live in double-wide trailers and work at one of two places, the local Um, flooring plant in town or the Tyson chicken plant a few towns over. It's a small town with minimal resources, but 600 people who know each other pretty well. Well, in the fall of 1997, something happened in Possum Trot that changed that town forever. Donna, the wife of the town's only pastor, was grieving her own mother's death. She was home in the kitchen, her husband had gone to work and her two kids had gone to school and she was cleaning up the mess that her family had made around the breakfast table. And as she was cleaning the mess, she got overwhelmed by her grief and her frustration. Throwing down her towel, she said, Lord, I can't, I can't take it anymore. And she stormed out of the double wide, crossed the street, and sat in a friend's rocking chair underneath an old oak tree. And as she rocked and bathed herself in tears and was cooled by the fall breeze in East Texas, as she rocked back and forth, she heard something, something strange. She heard God's voice. Donna, God said, think of all those children who don't have what you had in a mother. I want you to give them that. Really? Donna wondered out loud. How? As far as she could tell, the children in Possum Trot were doing okay. Not great, but okay. Well, God kept speaking into her doubt and into her grief, this time giving clear instructions. No, Donna, I want you to adopt kids from foster care. Now, Donna knew next to nothing about adoption or foster care, but she hurried back into her house, opened the phone book, dialed an 800 number, and signed up for foster parent classes a town nearby, which in Texas meant an hour away. Now, her husband and her sister Diane thought she had lost her mind, but she convinced them to go with her to the classes to learn more about foster kids and adoption. And what they learned in those sessions overwhelmed them. They had no idea how bad life was for most of the kids in the foster care system. Most were there because, in the system because they had been emotionally or physically or sexually abused. For years, they'd be shuffled from home and to home until they were old enough to be on their own. It was tragic, and they had to do something. Well, by chance, Donna's sister, Diane, was the first resident of Possum Trot to be matched up with a foster child, a little four-year-old boy named Nino. The first Sunday... Diane brought Nino to church, and as she brought him to church, the congregation ignored the pastor and gathered around Diane and this beautiful, beautiful young boy. Who would give up this little man, they asked. Nino hugged Diane's neck, not letting go. He's all mine, she said teasingly. You all go and get your own. 
Well, that's crazy, but that's exactly what they did. Nearly every family in Possum Trot went to the classes and got registered for adoption and foster kids. 23 families in that small town, 23 extended families took classes. And when all was said and done, 76 kids were taken out of foster care and put into homes. 76 kids in a small East Texas town with 600 people. Now, it hasn't always been easy, of course not. The community has leaned on each other over the years. Money has been tied at times, and some wounds that those kids brought with them took a really long time to heal. But despite all the challenges, most, almost all of those 76 kids have graduated from high school, and they're working full-time jobs, or studying in school, or raising families of their own. When asked about what happened in Possum Trot, Donna likes to say, well, some people say it's a miracle. If it is, it's a two-way miracle. We gave them all the love we had and end up, ended up with more to share. I've come to believe that the miracle we heard today in the story, the real miracle in today's story, is not Jesus magically multiplying a few loaves and a couple of fish. I don't doubt that he could do that if he wanted to. But I don't think a magic trick is what those people needed that day in that deserted place. To empower them, Jesus needed them to change their perspective, to see the world differently, to open their eyes to what is possible. Which makes me wonder, what if the miracle in today's story, what if the miracle that happened was that 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children, found it in their hearts to share what they already had? What if as the bread and the fish were passed around, people reached into their knapsacks and pulled out their own supplies they had brought with them for the journey? What if the, the disciples' problem is not that they don't have enough faith in Jesus? What if the problem is they don't have enough faith in themselves or in the people they've been called to serve? They didn't have enough faith in what God can do with, in, and through people if they simply offer who they are and what they've already been given. Don't just feed the crowd, Jesus orders his disciples. Sit down with them, get to know them, spend time with them, empower them, learn what they have that you can use to meet their needs. Take the time to discover how powerful you can be together. And when they did, the story tells us, everyone was filled and they had 12 baskets left over. One of my favorite things about CARE's I Am Powerful ad campaign is that it empowers both the one in need and the one who feels the need to give. When you look at the picture on the cover of your bulletin, that's an example of one of the pictures as part of the I Am Powerful campaign. You don't, you don't know, looking at the picture, if the young woman pictured is a member of the hungry crowd or a disciple with bread to share. You don't know if she's somebody in need or somebody who feels the need to give, which is exactly the way Jesus wants us to see one another. I don't know about you, but I have grown really tired of feeling powerless, ill-equipped, and disconnected from other people. I have grown tired of the narrative that pits us against them 
rich against poor, and that religion against that religion. I have grown tired of seeing the ones I serve as less than, and I've grown tired of feeling guilty as the one who has too much. I've grown tired of passing the buck, of kicking the can down the road, and I've grown tired of believing there are some problems that just can't be solved. I've grown tired of all these things, and I know I'm not the only one here who feels that way. Well, into our exhaustion and our confusion and our frustration, Jesus gives us a very clear command that's really an invitation. You give them something to eat. You, not them, you. Faced with a problem that seems impossible to solve on the surface, Jesus invites us to be with the very people we are called to serve. So we can both discover what is possible when we both share what we've been given. Jesus asked the one being served and the one doing the serving to sit down together and count their blessings. Because when they do, when we do, we all discover that there's enough to do the work that lies before us. There is always enough to do what needs to be done. I've only been to San Francisco once, but it was the strangest place I've ever been. Loved it, great city, but a bit odd. One of the things I found odd about it was the price of food. Things were really expensive. Hot dogs, way too expensive. Bread, way too expensive. And it turns out something else now that's way too expensive in San Francisco is toast. People are paying $4 or $5 for a slice of toast. Yeah, toast. One reporter decided to figure out the source of this craze and traced it back to a very unlikely location, a tiny coffee shop called, of all things, Trouble, owned by a woman named Giulietta Sorelli. Giulietta's coffee shop is aptly named Trouble because she has known trouble in her life. From her teenage years, she suffered from mental illness that went undiagnosed. As a result, she had a really hard time holding a job or getting a degree. She struggled to make friends and to keep them once she made them. She struggled to have roommates long enough to settle down. She lived in nine different cities before she was 30, often sleeping on the streets. Her life finally gained some semblance of stability when she met Glenn, an elderly man who came to the same stretch of beach every day to sunbathe in San Francisco. Julieta began to visit Glenn daily, and the continuity of their friendship helped her create other areas of continuity in her life. By going to the beach every day, she would swim for a while in the ocean, exercising. She made friends at the beach who would look out for her and expect her to come. She found a job in a nearby coffee shop, a job that she kept for three consecutive years. She was still in and out of apartments and often slept in a car, but she had a community to call her own. Then one morning, her boss arrived at the coffee shop to find Julieta asleep behind the counter. She'd spent the night there, but instead of firing her on the spot, her boss told her it was time for her to open her own coffee shop. He gave me permission, she said, to do something I knew I should do. And so with help from friends in the form of advice, money, and physical labor, Julieta opened a coffee shop and called it Trouble. The menu is refreshingly simple. Coffee, no decaf. Whole coconuts served with a straw and a spoon. Shots of grape juice, overpriced, but still good. And thick slices 
of cinnamon, cinnamon toast. That's it. That's the whole menu. Trouble is a tiny, tiny coffee shop. And Julieta calls her shop, with its limited menu, quote, a sociological experiment in engineering spontaneous connection between strangers. I call it a miracle. There's no seating in trouble, one table in the corner. So folks can't hide behind their laptop or cluster with their friends. If you go in the shop, you have to talk to people. You're standing right next to them. And as a result, those who end up coming there interact with the people that show up, friends and strangers alike. One visitor observed that the people there looked more like neighborhoods, neighbors at a block party than customers at a cafe. They looked more like neighbors at a block party than customers at a cafe. Trouble has saved Julietta's life, and I'm guessing the lives of many others who visit it each and every day. What if this church began to feel more like that, more like a block party full of neighbors instead of a cafe full of customers? What if instead of focusing on what we cannot do on our limitations, we directed our energies and our resources towards discovering all the particular gifts and graces that each and every one of us bring here each and every week? What if we looked for the answers for all of our troubles, whether they're troubles here at home or at church or in the community at large, what if we look for the solutions to our problems in the very people that we are called to serve? Jesus knows all about trouble. He knows all about hopeless situations. He knows all about that feeling that we are not enough, that we don't have enough. Jesus knows all about the real problems we face. But he also knows all about the miracles we can make happen when we come together and share what we've been given. 5,000 men were fed that day in the middle of nowhere, not counting the kids, who I'm sure ate a lot, and the tired women who were carrying those kids around. 5,000 men, women, and children were fed that day. Five loaves, two fish. It makes you wonder what we could do with all that we've been given. We are powerful, indeed. Amen.